Well, welcome back, ladies. Um, I am just really excited to, to, con to continue this conversation. I almost feel like this is going to be a continuation of what we discussed in the last episode when we talked about therapy. And this episode, so our topic is showing healthy emotions in front of your children. That's like the long way to put it, but it's just talking about emotions and how we communicate them with our kids um, and how we promote them, right, with our kids. I think that's more so what we're gonna talk about today. What we talked about last week was about therapy and we did, I did slowly kind of introduce how I have definitely made my mental health, my overall well-being a priority. And, and that did include going to therapy regularly, seeing it more as preventative care, something that I do to maintain my sanity, not to regain my sanity. And, um, and that's where this topic just falls right in line. Because at the same time that I made mental health a priority for myself, I made it a priority for my kids. Uh, the pandemic was hard on all of us. So that being said, it was also hard on my children. And when I made it a priority, for my kids, it wasn't just showing them how, you know, and where to find help, but also how to express ourselves in a healthy way. So me expressing myself in a healthy way, and in turn, encouraging them to express themselves in a healthy way. And for kids, a healthy way could just simply mean like, just communicating, right? Not yelling, not throwing something across the room, could be just explaining as best as they can, how they feel and what they're going through. So um, when I made it a priority for myself, it was more so my motivator was something that we constantly hear, right? We can't give from an empty cup. So taking care of myself became a priority being that I knew that this was the best way that I would truly care for those that I love around me. I was going to do my best to help fill my own love tank. Maybe that's something we can talk about another day just more so love languages and love tanks. But there are ways that I feel like I could fill my own love tank. And then in turn, I would have more energy, more mental capacity and just desire to care for my kids, my husband, my parents, my siblings, all those that I care about without feeling depleted or disregarded. Now, early on in my parenting chapter, the chapter that will probably never end, I hope, right? So my husband and I, bought a lot of parenting books. Most of them are unread. Um, some of them are started, but not finished. But there was a book early on that we did purchase when we had our firstborn. And um, that book is called The Whole Brainchild. It's by Daniel Siegel and Tina Bryson. That's a neuropsychiatrist and a parenting expert. So the book basically provides a guide to help their ch your children, help the person reading it, right? The children in their lives develop their emotional intelligence. And even then, I, I think once we had our, our son, emotional intelligence was still something that was catching on, but we knew it would be important. A lot of times we talk about, oh, you know, I want my kid to be an asset to society. I want them to be successful. I want them to be this and that. But honestly, you know, what we can ultimately hope for is that our child is healthy and therefore not being broken down by the daily things that happen around them and they have no control over. And so how to build their emotional intelligence. And that's what caught on when we saw this book and why we, why we wanted to, to purchase it. And there's one quote there. I'm going to read it. 
And then I, I'm going to just open it up to just hear exactly what you guys think right after I, I, I read the quote, being that this is a quote that really stuck with me. And I have literally gone back to every time I feel like I'm a little off course or things aren't going exactly how I would like for them to go with my kids. And so the quote says, as children develop, their brains mirror their parents' brain. In other words, the parents' own growth and development or lack of those impact the child's brain. As parents become aware and emotionally healthy, their children reap the rewards and move toward health as well. What do you guys think when you hear that? So I have this book too. I'm about halfway finished with it. I bought it because my daughter started throwing tantrums and I just wasn't sure where this is coming from. Where does it start? How do I survive? You know, (laughs) the usual questions, but, um, I loved that because as I'm sure we'll get into, or we, we did talk about this a little bit during the last episode of our own individual mental health journeys. So it really kind of validates an additional reason for why you're working so hard to become the best version of you and how to be a little bit better than you were the day before, because it has this, you know, this is a very common theme through the last two seasons of Femme Collective, but this infinite impact that you have on people, you cannot have a more infinite impact than that of which you have on your children. It kind of marries these two things of validating why you're working so hard on yourself and knowing that that will forever impact your children. So I really loved that part of the book. And without getting into too much of the neuroscience and the details, because I will not do it justice, is that the kind of concept of integrating the left and right-hand side of the brain, right? The stuff that's more instinctual with the stuff that's more emotional. And how do you do that in front of your children and making sure that you integrate both sides of your brain in an effort to demonstrate to them how that is done before Their brain even has the developmental capacity to do that, but they are observing you have the ability to do that in different situations. So I loved the book. I love that quote. It really hits home for me on why it's so important for me to be the best version of myself. Yeah, I agree. I don't really have much more to add on what that quote means to me or what resonates with me about it from what Katie and my shared. What came up for me in my thought process though, is just thinking about there's a lot of issues in the black culture in how we were raised. And I think I may have talked about this before, but like generations before mine didn't have some of the privilege that we have today. Like now I have the privilege of having a lot of access to information. Things have moved forward in a lot of ways. Whereas before generations of my parents and their parents, they were trying to make sure their black kids survived. So there was no time for this like gentle parenting stuff that's out here now, uh, which I try to do. There was no time for that. It was like, I got to make sure you make it home every day. I got to make sure you don't get lynched today. I got to make sure you don't make other people feel uncomfortable and you get arrested today. So there's a lot of black trauma from parenting because parents were just in a survival mode. So there was a lot of behavior that wasn't optimal for children. There was a lot of yelling. There was probably a lot of abuse and violence because the parents themselves were, tra- were traumatized. So then because of this learned behavior, which you know relates back to that quote, I'm learning my behavior from my parents. So then I'm passing that on unless I choose to break that cycle. 
So I want to give grace to the generations that came before us, especially in the black community that may not have taken on this type of more privileged and more neuro and more emotional intelligence centered approach to parenting. But the good thing is now that we have access to more tools like that, we have access to these experts and now we can change our approaches going forward. And I just would say, give grace to yourself as well too, because now that I know this information, I have an awareness. And when I'm not acting in alignment with that, I can easily start beating myself up. Like, why are you getting so frustrated so easily? Like they did one thing today to make you mad. So that awareness is tricky and you got to show yourself grace. So that's, that's what came up for me. That is something like such an important caveat to start with. It's like, we probably should have kind of led with an overview of why we feel so privileged to be able to speak about this and not about making sure our kids come home or survive or what, you know, what Stacy mentioned, like, of course, this is like such a far extension and such a like lighthearted, um, privileged way to be talking about parenting. So thanks for sharing that Stacy. That was really important. And I like what you brought up about, you know, a lot of times our parents were focused on survival and, and I think this book, and I will put it in the show notes just because it's really that good does hone in on the fact that a lot of times in parenting, we are just trying to survive. We are just trying to get to bedtime. So this is a very, again, very privileged perspective. I'm just trying to make it to bedtime (laughs) versus I'm trying to make it to tomorrow, right? Two different things, but it is something where even, even then and now, depending on what's going on around us in society and what the privileges are and what we have at our disposal, we're still in survival mode a lot of times. And that's where what I did really enjoy about this book. And while I'm not as far as long, long as Katie, I did start reading it again because of just recent things going on with our kids, especially as they're getting older, my kids, just discipline, right? It becomes a little more complicated as your kids get older. And um, I also take the gentle parenting approach, which to be honest, I can't stand that terminology, but that's just me and, and just not liking terms, right? It's just parenting and treating my child with love and respect. and so while keeping those two things in mind, discipline can be difficult when your child is very quick-witted and and responds to the things you say. So we started, I started reading this book again and I'll say that, I mean, it's it's just so good when it really just helps you focus in on emotional intelligence with your child. But what I will say regarding this quote and why it has stuck with me and has truly fueled my own emotional growth and just every time I think back to it is that in knowing that by working on myself, I'm setting up, I'm setting my kids up to reap rewards and break barriers at a younger age than I did. Or even sometimes they might break barriers and, and, and overcome things that I may never overcome. That in and of itself was encouraging to me because we talk a lot about cycles, breaking cycles and how our parents did certain things because they had to, but that doesn't mean we have to continue it on, especially if we know some of those things are toxic and, and, and should not be a part of our day-to-day. And so just by working on my own emotional health, I am helping my child. So that is, it's something that does encourage me. Yeah. Maya, I just wanted to say like, how amazing is that about what you just said? Like we need to take a break and realize how wonderful our children will be for lots of reasons, but it will include our parenting that, like you just said, they will break barriers that maybe we will never even have the capacity to overcome. Like that is plain amazing. Don't you think? No, I, I, I know. And that's, and that's why I find it to be so encouraging because sometimes when in our parenting journeys, you know, it, it just feels like 
just is just full of frustration and like we're hitting dead ends and 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 we really think like I thought I was doing good today but you know what just happened just show me that I'm not it, it does bring some level of hope which is what we need right we have to have some hope this allows me to have some hope in those in those tough times to know the fact that I am processing this and acknowledging that this is a tough moment for me in my parenting journey that in and of itself is going to help me be a better parent instead of just brushing it to the side and just just being like whatever they have to do what I said they have to do what's got to be done we'll deal with this tomorrow and that's all where, where it could be a problem now focusing in on this topic on showing healthy emotions around your kids I think one thing a lot of times we forget is that our kids start out not understanding their own emotions right they don't know how to communicate they don't know how to feed themselves and do the basic things that we do, but they don't know what they're feeling. They don't know how to verbalize it and they also don't understand it. And so when we're trying to figure out how to express yourself in a healthy way, one of the best ways we can do that is to, to model it for our children. So I feel like it is my responsibility as their parent to work through my issues, my emotions, push through the uncomfortable moments be vulnerable and then show them by talking to them about what I'm feeling so that they can hopefully in turn do the same with me and with others. And that's really where from this book, but really just, just overall, as I've continued to go on in my mental health journey, I've really honed in on, I don't always know what I'm feeling, but I know that when I verbalize it or when I talk to somebody about it, it makes a little more sense to me then sometimes when I do know what I'm feeling or when I can see what my child is going through, if I kind of help them talk through it, that in and of itself is gonna make it healthier and more productive for, for, for all of us. So we discussed this in episode two, balancing motherhood, how I sometimes verbalize to my kids when I'm tired, when I'm not in the mood, different things like that. And then also in the last episode with therapy, you know, I talked about it's really helped me um, just be more vulnerable in general, general and, and understand what I'm going through. One of the things I've noticed, and I really want to hear from, from you two, just to see you know, your thoughts on it as well, is that one of the more important things is just to keep the lines of communication open. And we talk about this with our spouse, right? To be communicative with our spouses and making sure that we're on the same page. But it really is just as important with our children because when we show that we trust them, to be a little more vulnerable in front of them and are honest and just say, hey, this is why I'm upset or this is how you hurt me today and I need a break to gather what I feel and then come back and talk about it. Your child might be shocked the first time when you tell them that, but guess what? There's gonna be a time then they're gonna say to you, I'm frustrated, I'm embarrassed, I don't know what I'm feeling and I need some time to myself. And I'm telling you this because I've seen it just in my seven-year-old. And I know that he has said that to me because I've said that to him, which is healthy, right? There's nothing wrong with it because it lets him know mommy needs a break. And then she came back and talked to me. I need a break. And then I'm going to go back and talk to her because one of the most important things is just at the end of the day that those lines of communication stay open as they continue on on their life journey. Right now, they are, they are in our control or under our roof, but at some point they won't be. And you just want to know, want for that to continue. So I just wonder each and every one of you, what are some of the experiences you've had so far just by showing, you know, maybe good things, bad things that have happened when you've showed emotion in front of your kids. And then also just how are you going to choose to approach this going forward as they get older? Um, I'll go ahead on that. So 
I think a big one that kids in general, toddlers, as they're transitioning into learning how to articulate their feelings, a big one that I've seen with my kids is the anger. Like they get frustrated, they get angry, and then it's acting out. So like one conversation I've been having a lot with my kids recently is that, Hey, instead of just lashing out, I'm like, okay, what's making you angry? Are you angry? Are you upset? Are you frustrated? Which one? So I have them assign a word to the feeling. And then I tell them, Hey, you're okay. It's okay to be angry. So I give them the permission to be angry. Anger is a normal emotion, right? Like they see us get angry. (laughs) So I tell them like, it's okay to be angry. What's not okay is to act out on that anger by hitting your sibling or yelling or doing something else. There's other ways that we can try to work through that anger. I'll even like, Hey, do you want to go punch this pillow? Like giving them other options other than just hurting someone else or another individual. And then I think the bigger thing, like you mentioned my two is actually displaying it. So like, if I do something wrong or if I overreact, which I do, you know, the gentle parenting is an approach. I don't, I can't say that I have um, (laughs) executed on that consistently, but so when I do go outside of that, I say, Hey, I want to apologize. Mommy shouldn't have acted that way. I was frustrated. I didn't have a lot of patience today, but that doesn't give me an excuse to treat you like that. And I'll ask them, can I have forgiveness? And my daughter, she's like, but it's okay. I forgive you. So I think it's a huge thing to show and admit that you're wrong because I didn't really ever witness that. Like I never witnessed I was wrong. So then like, it was hard for me to naturally do that. I have to intentionally you know, walk myself through it and make sure I explain that to them. And I'm kind of on the, I'm on the end of the spectrum too, where like between my husband and I, I'm more of the one who's like, I need to be in tune with their feelings. We need to figure out what's going on in their head. And so like, sometimes I feel like what my struggle is, which I'm still learning through is not being too far to that side without setting boundaries as well. So that's the journey I'm currently on. How do I do my natural way of being very connected and empathetic to my children's state of being? And also set boundaries so that my kids actually listen to me when I tell them what to do, because that's been a problem lately. Ooh, I'm not kidding when I say that I just wrote down like bulleted notes of what you said, because (laughs) I, I just get so much from both of you in terms of your parenting, but I can see how that would be hard to walk the line of like understanding emotionally being connected and available and being compassionate to then having to be the disciplinarian and have them listen to you when you tell them they need to do something let me know when you get that worked out. Okay. Because I need notes. Um, Uh, right. So, um, a couple of things just recently that have happened. I was, um, last year, the presiding juror or the foreman on a criminal, um, trial jury. And it was very, very hard because it was a, it was a continuous aggravated sexual assault of a child case. And it was so horrible to hear the details though we had to. Um, and every day I would come home and I just would cry for a long, long time. And on the night that we got done, um, uh, at the end of the trial, you go to a, a phase called the deliberation phase. And we spent eight hours deliberating, finally reaching a guilty verdict, but it was not obviously with eight hours, Um, It was not obvious. It was not cut and dry. It wasn't clear. And you are deciding the fates of a lot of people's lives by extension, not just the victim and the defendant, but all of their families and their future. And, and it's just a heavy thing. And so 
I text my husband as soon as we got out about seven. That's right about the time my daughter goes down for bed. I rush home so I can read her a couple of books and put her down for bed. And as I'm reading her some books, I start crying like usual for that week. But this one was even heavier. And she looks at me and she doesn't really understand. And I just said, mommy did a really big thing today. It's so hard for you to understand, but it was very, very hard for mommy. It makes me sad. It makes me proud. It makes me very scared. And this is just, this is how I feel right now, but I'm so happy to be home with you. I love you. I'm so glad that I'm your mom. And it just, it, as you both were talking right now, give me some examples of how you've shown, you know, a range of emotions around your child. And she doesn't know what many of those words mean, but she knows that I talked to her in a calm voice. And that I said, it was okay, but that something was hard for me. And she knows what that means. And so this is just an example of her getting to see this like complex nuanced person that is her mom. And eventually she will uh, digest that and internalize that she is that too. And that that's okay. And so that was one uh, story that really came up for me right now. But something else I think is really interesting as we're, I mean, Stacy, I was going to talk about like naming feelings and stuff, but that, I mean, you did that so beautifully that I just took notes and I'm going to do it better next time. So, um, but, but something else I read in this book about the whole brain child is that you think as a parent, sometimes when your child goes through something that feels traumatizing for them, maybe they get in a wreck on their bike or they fall down, or they see a car accident or something that is traumatic for them. There is a part of us that thinks maybe we should just like move past this and maybe not talk about it. But in the whole brain child, it talks about like therapy for very young children is very much just telling their story, not avoiding it, but saying like, so my daughter got a boo-boo one day at daycare and had a a bandaid on her finger, but walked around favoring it for like a week. Right. I mean, it was so hilarious, but also girl, we got to wash your hands in the bathtub. Okay. Like, come on. But what we found really helped with her was just asking her to tell us the story. Can you tell us the story of how your finger got hurt? And she would just like babble, 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 school, babble, car, babble, babble, boo-boo, babble, babble, band-aid. And that helped her to assimilate it and have her like actually process the feelings and the scary thing that happened to her. And then she didn't need her band-aid anymore. Um, and so that's part of this book, this whole brain child. <laughs> Stacey, you're laughing. <laughs> Can you imagine the whole week with a- Because kids a- are so funny like that. Like, <laughs> I love it though. I love that part of watching them do all it's that. It's so cute. It's It's really cute, but like- on a much bigger level, she will have to do that, you know, or something like much more traumatizing later on. Right. But if you help them tell their story or ask them, can you tell me about the time that this happened? Instead of just pushing on past it, it shows them that it's okay to talk about these things, feel the emotions. And that at that point, the scary stuff maybe reduces a bit. And I think that's a really cool tactic to use with children. Yeah. And, and it's definitely when I'm still learning, I, I, I did see that in the book as well. And it's almost now opened up my eyes to when there are times, you know, when your kid tells you the same story over and over again. Uh, and, and a lot of times I know I'm very guilty and I'm just like, you told me that yesterday. Okay. I heard you, you know, I heard you yesterday. And I realized 
even just right when you just said it now, it, it reminded me, but also when I was reading the book where I'm like, wow, maybe those times that, you know, they're just trying to work through their emotions and processing some event. It doesn't matter whether or not I think it's a big deal, right? Because they do, because they're saying it over and over again. And I know that I've, um, I've been a little impatient with them, but I'm also impatient when my mom does the same thing. So I guess now maybe I should be a little more, more um, compassionate towards her. What if she's trying to process something now? I don't know because we're dealing with people that for the most part are intelligent and, and, and even our kids, like, you know, you wonder why is it that they tell me the same story over and over again? And now I feel like I have some insight to where I can simply just by listening to them, that's another way to let them know the lines of the communication between us are open, right? This is, we have trust and I want you to always remember that. And yeah, maybe you told me that story two hours ago, but I'll listen to it one more time. And so I think that's where, and that's the beauty of it. I think we've talked about it already in this episode and, and maybe we should just preface it for in general, right? We're, we're all in, in dual parent households. And we're all co-parenting, all three of us. And that is a privilege in and of itself, right? So it's something to where, um, as we talk about all these different things, we also have the privilege of being able to go to someone else and talk through some things and vent with another parent, but also um, be able to bounce ideas off of each other and, and maybe just take breaks. And I think that's the beauty of it to where you have that other parent to talk to you're able to, to really just still collectively be the disciplinarian or the nurturer, be the good cop, be the bad cop, if you want to take that approach. But at the end of the day, you still lead with love and respect. And I, and I think that that's really what's important. Is there anything else you ladies want to add regarding this topic? And, and just in general, when we discuss hard emotions that we may feel with our kids? I just wanted to add one resource that has really helped me. It's on Instagram, the account is called Big Little Feelings. And they have so many examples of like actual things that always come up in parenting. Now they specialize in like the zero, I think like zero to five, zero to six age range, but I've used some of those tools. And the other thing I want to say too, is a lot of the times, like some of the more like reactive parenting helps like in the short term, right? Like, cause that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to like correct something in the short term. But sometimes this more like humane, call it humane parenting, because my has a, a word diction issue. Um, the more humane parenting, sometimes you don't see the benefits short term, you see them more long term. And I think that's way more important. Like the long term benefits of our parenting approach is way more important than the short term. I want you to listen to me right now. And I want you to do as I say right now which has kind of been historically the parenting approaches that I've seen. So check out that account. It's super helpful. And I just have one last thing to add that Stacy made me think about. I've been reading some books recently on um, parent-child attachment styles. I don't know if anyone's heard of these, but it was developed by a um, psychiatrist many, many, many decades ago named John Bowlby. And it's basically the development of an attachment style between a parent and a child occurs in their first three years of life. And I don't want to get too much into the details here because there's a lot of it, but the, the best, most healthy attachment style a child can develop is something called a secure attachment, which means that they are 
confident that they believe they deserve love, um, that they believe that someone will be there for them if they say so, um, because that was their experience from years zero to three. And there are a lot of other attachment styles that develop from different kind of parenting dynamics among children. And those threads they have found through research are now being pulled all the way into adulthood and the way that those children interact in romantic relationships in friendships. Are they anxious about these relationships? Do they feel solid in them and what they believe and what they deserve? Or do they feel like they can't really depend on anyone and therefore they can only be independent? And those things create issues long-term. And so I'll, I'll put something in the show notes about this too, if you want to learn a little bit more about attachment styles and how to identify those and make sure that you, you work to create a secure attachment style for your child. Thank you so much for, for everything you've shared in this episode. And I, I mean, I think the most important thing that we can take away from this is it's okay to show emotion in front of your child. The most important thing would be to identify it for what it is, communicate with them, allow them to know what you're feeling. And then it's also okay to take breaks and step back and just work through what you're feeling first before you impose it on your child or even just put it out there. Because a lot of times I think as parents, we're dealing with our own traumas and we're dealing with our own issues. And if we're not able to identify them for what they are, process them through the many, many different types of therapy, but just in general, by just really trying to understand how they've impacted us, we're not able to be the best parent we can be for our children. We're not able to be the best we can be for all those around us that do love us. So we're all for talking to our kids about how we feel and being honest, but but more importantly, we really just want each and every one of our listeners and for all those that that you may, may come in contact with just to encourage people to process stuff. It's okay to step back and just figure out what's going on with you.